mentioned uh, freedom is our topic today, and freedom's been at the heart of the book of Galatians that we've been looking at over these past few weeks. Now, freedom is something that can easily be taken for granted in countries like Australia, but when you experience a new freedom, when you're free to do something for the first time, then I think it's then that we realise how valuable freedom is. Whether it's as a, as a child and it's the first time that you're free to go out with your friends without adult supervision, or when you finish school and you're free to just sort of work out what you're going to do during the week and you're not dictated by a particular timetable, or whether it's that time that you first move out of home, that initial experience of freedom is both exhilarating and a little bit scary. But freedoms like this can often be freedoms that we quickly take for granted. But to experience freedom from something a little bit more pressing, when we're trapped or enslaved, then that's a whole other experience together, isn't it? That taking those kinds of freedoms for granted seems almost incomprehensible. Now, for those of you who know me, you know that I'm, I'm claustrophobic. If I get locked in an in a enclosed space, I, I'm not good. The heart rate immediately goes up. And the, and the sense of relief that as soon as the door is unlocked and, and I have access, I just appreciate the freedom from that. Others have experienced much stronger oppression, real danger, and being free from that is a kind of joy that you don't forget. Others who have experienced freedom from oppression or regime, they probably really know that you never take freedom for granted. Freedom in its various degrees is valuable, isn't it? And valuable things, what are they? well, they're worth protecting, aren't they? And what we see in our passage today is that freedom is important to God. Verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And it's this experience of freedom which is under threat which has caused Paul to write to the Galatians. Paul is determined to protect the freedoms that have been established. His rivals are seemingly trying to strip freedom from the Galatian church and encouraging them to return to previous constraints. It's a little bit like an adult who's moved out of home and then comes back to live in the household of their parents, sort of establishing what's appropriate behaviour once that change has been made. It's difficult. There's tensions. You know, whereas it's probably appropriate for a teenager to be home at mealtime to notify their parents where they are at any given moment. If you're an adult and you move back into the family home, then these are the kind of things that start to be questioned and contested. Is it really necessary? Is it appropriate for me to come under these constraints? Now, some of the benefits for the early Christians of being associated with the Jewish people was Benefits that sort of came from the Roman Empire's perspective of things. The Roman Empire had established particular exemptions for those who were of the Jewish faith in terms of how they were able to freely worship. And so with the establishment of the early church, often many of those early gatherings were seen from the Roman Empire as just sort of coming under the Jewish faith. And so for many of the early Christians who, like Paul, were of Jewish descent, there seems to be this pressure to conform wholly with the practices of the Jewish tradition. And so a little bit like a parent who's addressing their adult child who's moved back into the home, 
the Jewish churches, the Jewish um, teachers are, are looking at Paul and sort of saying, you're a little bit too relaxed. You're not respecting the traditions of the past. But what you're promoting and how you're living, it's not really honourable to God. And so what's happening in Galatia is that there's pressure on those who are following Jesus to sort of live out the kind of practices that were demonstrated before Jesus' arrival, to ultimately find their identity where it had previously been laid, pressure from others to conform. And I guess like the aim of a parent when they're raising a child is to raise them so that they can be a well-functioning adult. The purpose we see here in verse 1 from God is to provide freedom for his people. What we see throughout the Bible is that the coming of Jesus is a major transition point, the key focus in all of God's plan. And once Jesus has arrived, there is a new era. It's a little bit like when all the kids move out of the home. Things will never be the same again. And so verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. That's an interesting connection, isn't it? Freedom and standing firm. Normally, if I think of standing firm, the connection is stand firm to your convictions, stand firm in the face of opposition. Maybe we think we need to stand firm to defend God. We, we tend to stand firm of things that matter, but we often are aware of standing firm when there's pressure against us. It is for freedom you've been free, Paul says. Stand firm then. I don't know about you, but freedom and standing firm sort of don't seem like a natural pairing. Standing firm sort of pairs a little bit more naturally, in my mind, with slavery. You know, don't let that oppressive boss get you down. Don't let that bully know that they're getting to you. Don't let that tough coach of yours see your tears. Slavery sort of pairs more naturally, I think, with standing firm. Freedom, on the other hand, it tends to evoke the very opposite associations. Freedom is about being carefree, isn't it? Relaxed, peaceful. Freedom is when you book a holiday with a bit of a skeleton itinerary that you're not enslaved to. Freedom is a weekend without any commitments in the calendar. Perhaps freedom is when the boss says he's going to work from home. Freedom seems like a more relaxed posture than a tense one. But Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. This is the connection that Paul's making. Freedom, stand firm in that freedom. This freedom that's been obtained is a freedom that has been won for us. Paul's been announcing this good news through his letter. A freedom from sin that is now possible. It's a rescue from the evilness of this present age. It's a freedom in Christ that you can be right with God. A freedom, Paul has said, that those who have died with Christ will also live with him. We've seen in chapter 3 that it's free through the promise that God had made, a promise based, not based on merit, and not a promise made between equals. It's a freedom that's available to overcome the power of slavery, of, to sin and death. And it's a freedom that does no longer require adult supervision. It's a freedom that we can call out to God as Father. 
the freedom that's experienced as God declares his people to be heirs of his kingdom. That's sort of what we've seen through Galatians so far. And so this good news that Paul has previously announced, this gospel that the Galatians had received, the gospel that had changed Paul's life, this good news that freedom is available to all in Jesus is the very freedom that's being challenged. And because freedom is valuable, freedom is worth protecting. For freedom you've been freed. But we see here the very purpose in God's work that we would be free. God hasn't freed people out of obligation. We haven't earned it. God hasn't freed people because he needs us to repay him. He's not like that gang boss who who pays the high-priced lawyers to get someone off the charges they're under, to obtain the not guilty verdict, knowing that forever that person who they got the good legal counsel for is indebted to them forever. That that boss can then say to that person, hey, I need you to do this, that or the other, because remember what I did for you. God has freed people from their sin. He's rescued them from the evilness of this present age so that they can experience freedom. And so the freedom in Christ wasn't secured through people's effort, not through doing our time or paying our dues. It's only come through the grace of God. God's act of mercy and grace, an undeserving declaration, yet a life-changing one. And so if the purpose of all of God's work is that God's people would be free, how do we preserve that purpose? Well, verse 1, we stand firm. Security and assurance is found in God's faithfulness to his promise, in the power and sufficiency of his work. But we see here with this connection of freedom and standing firm that how we respond to what God has done will affect whether God's purpose is realised in our life. Stand firm, Paul says, and don't let yourself be burdened by a yoke of slavery or be circumcised in verses 2 and 3. Like the adult who, who loses health or work or stability and needs to revert back to a previous era, needs to to move back in with their parents, Paul flags the pressure that the Galatian Christians are facing to return to the life of a previous era. And so I think one of the questions we want to ask is, why would they let themselves be burdened? For the Galatians, letting themselves being swayed by Paul's rivals was requiring that all men would be circumcised. Now, this was the final mark of acceptance for a man to be included in the Jewish community. And it was a paradigm that was established and appropriate prior to Jesus' arrival, but Paul describes it as putting yourself under a yoke of slavery. Now, a yoke is a constraint to control and lead and manoeuvre strong working animals. And so by enforcing religious preferences as mandatory, by excluding those people from the church community who weren't compliant or who came from a different background or making secondary things central things, these are all burdens that are a yoke, the very opposite of the freedom for which you were freed for. And so like an adult who returns home to live with their parents might think, well, there's some particular guidelines that are appropriate for us to live together, but then they return home and their parents say, no, 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 I've got one of these things from the authorities. It's an ankle bracelet. 
and I'll be monitoring where you are at every moment of the day to, to live in the freedom that is established is clearly disconnected from the intent that God had in his work. For freedom you were freed. So don't let yourself be burdened. Now this idea of standing firm has a military sense, standing at attention, being ready, strong, resistant. And we need to stand firm because the freedom for which we were freed for is worth protecting and there is pressure against it. If you let yourself be burdened, then the purpose for which you were freed is under threat. Verse 2, Paul says, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. It seems like the Galatians weren't in danger of saying that Christ was worthless to them, but they were in danger of expressing that very thing in their actions. By mandating these outward actions, Paul is saying you're only trusting in Jesus symbolically. Our actions speak louder than our words. Paul is pretty clear. Jesus is your everything or he's nothing at all. Jesus becomes worthless. He provides no benefit or assistance to you when you start trusting in your ability to comply with God's way as your means of being acceptable before him. Because, verse 3, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You see, if you act under obligation to part of the law, then you're compelled to sin under the whole of it. Now, how have they let themselves become burdened? Well, again, it's this circumcision, this final initiation, this induction into the Jewish people for those who are of Gentile background. And Paul is saying, once you've been initiated, then you have to sit under the whole paradigm. Your confidence and security is now going to be placed in your ability to comply with the orders put before you. Your hope for a declaration of being right before God is your ability to comply with the standard that God has set, which is what Paul is saying that they are actually trusting in. Verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law. That's why they're doing these works. And Paul says, you've been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. The pressure for the Galatians was enslaving themselves to the old order of things, trying to be justified, made right before God based on their efforts. Their confidence was to be found in their compliance. It's a bit like those of you who work in educational or medical institutions that every few years needs accreditation. You know, it's this sort of just intense thing of, of ticking all the boxes so that you get the stamp to say, you're all good, to keep going. So too, Paul is saying with this way of trying to justify yourself before God through the law. It's vastly different to the freedom for which you were freed for. Now, this constant language of being in Christ, the idea of Union with Christ, this language of son and heir that's been uh, brought through Galatians. How contrast is it with this danger in verse 4 that Paul identifies of being alienated from Christ? Paul is clear that trusting self is incompatible 
with trusting God. Letting yourself be burdened through compliance rather than standing firm results in this family bond being broken. To be alienated is relationally separate. To be estranged from all the benefits and privileges. Unable to call out to God as Abba Father. Falling away from grace is the great danger the Galatians were under. Forgetting or denying that they were freed. Functionally living as though they are earning their freedom. Not people who have been given a pardon. And so this is the great danger in responding to what God has done. To to letting ourselves be enslaved. If freedom is God's purpose, how can we protect that? How can we keep standing firm in this freedom that we were freed for? Well, the positive alternative to letting ourselves be swayed is where Paul goes next from verse 5. He says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The key to standing firm is the work of the Spirit and a life of faith. You know, the important thing about standing firm, apparently, my wife tells me, is your core muscles. And the thing with your core muscles is that no one else can really see them, but you can see the effect of them. And that's what it means to stand firm through the Spirit by faith. And faith in the part of eagerly awaiting. Paul says, faith in the hope that is to come. And so what is it that we're hoping for, Paul says? What is it that we are eagerly awaiting? What's interesting, isn't it? He says, our righteousness is the thing that we hope for. This righteousness that is secured in Christ This righteousness that God is conforming his people to. That that final day when those who are in Christ will be fully transformed, they will be right in all ways. So it's through the Spirit, as we live by faith in the sufficiency of Jesus' work, that God brings about this complete change in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our actions, in our words. It is that that we hope for our righteousness when we stand right before God. And so faith expressing itself through love is going to be unpacked in the rest of chapter 5 and chapter 6. But our focus today is on standing firm and how that connects with eagerly awaiting for our hope, our righteousness. Are you a very good waiter? Our modern age is sort of Removed the necessity to experience waiting like we had in the past. Uh, growing up, I used to have to catch the bus most places. Thankfully, there was a bus stop four, do- four doors from my house. I have to check the timetable and then I have to make sure that I'm there like five minutes before the bus is supposed to get there because if the bus driver's ahead of schedule, I just, I'd learnt that they just, they're flying because it's the end of the shift. And so I'd get down there and I'd wait and I'd have to stand because the bus was coming down the hill, it was picking up speed. If I wasn't there standing, ready to signal the bus, if I was in the shelter, sort of distracted, reading a book, 
or daydreaming, the bus would fly past to eagerly await the hope of our righteousness. This is the posture that Paul says is integral in our standing firm in the freedom that we were freed for. This is how we can protect our freedom. And we stand firm, we eagerly await through the power of the Spirit by faith in the hope that we have. And so, I guess, how we protect this freedom that we were freed for is something that we need to continually think about how we can encourage one another with. Paul is clear that there is great danger of God's purpose, freedom, not being realised in the individual life. And so he goes on to to warn them in verse 7, you're running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? He's commending them here. They were going well. But now these rival teachers have arrived who have cut in on them. They're now at danger of getting off track. And now I think the sort of analogy is sort of, you know, someone cutting across you like you're, you're, you're running. Next week I've got a big ride and, you know, I sort of know that when you're on your bike and if someone comes in front of you, there's, you've got to make sure that the tyres don't clip because if they clip, you're both on the ground. But I think that the warning here isn't just for an immediate falling apart of life. The great danger that Paul seems to be expressing is of them being led away. Now, one of the training rides that I was doing um, in lead up for next week's race was down in Canberra over Christmas, and I've never really ridden in Canberra. And when you're sort of riding in an area that you don't know, one of the great things to see is other riders, especially a group of them, uh, because they probably know where they're going. And if you can get on the back, you can actually get in the slipstream and it saves you energy. But, you know, I don't know where I'm going in Canberra. All I sort of know is that Parliament House is in the middle and I'm staying up this way, so I think, well, I'll keep that as my anchor point. But the confusing thing, the thing I hate about Canberra is that the roads all sort of loop, so if you want to go right, often you've got to get off to the left, and then it hooks around underneath. Paul is warning here about the great danger of someone cutting in, teaching you other things, and actually leading you off the path. Their progress had started well. But Paul warns them that now they are listening to the wrong voice. He says in verse 8 that these rivals haven't been called by the grace of God. And whilst they might start with a paradigm of forgiveness through grace, it seems that they're easily veering off in another direction. And so too we can be let ourselves be burdened as others of the Christian faith who seem to be expressing things that seem consistent with our belief, just gradually take us off course. Perhaps throughout church history, there's been, I guess, the the Roman Catholic Church and its emphasis on compliance with sacraments. Perhaps it's the Seventh-day Adventist with the emphasis on Saturday Sabbath and refusal of medical treatment. Other churches have emphasised abstinence on uh, eating pork, drinking alcohol, dancing... Now, these are various things that can be a Christian conscience in complying with, but when they start to be mandated, when they start to be trusted in for your validation before God, 
then they too are real dangers in being led off track. We can quickly let ourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery, thinking that obedience to these is where our security is found. But now some of us might just sort of think, well, why would you ever enslave yourself to anything or anyone? Well, perhaps it's that sometimes, rather than having our hope set on our righteousness, actually we're actually eagerly awaiting for something else. It is very easy to have our focus on something that we deeply desire. Rather than our righteousness, we could focus on finding the right spouse, having the right job, living in the right place, having the right opportunity. And so rather than eagerly awaiting the right us, our righteousness that God is working towards, we can easily get stuck doing religious things, doing good acts to try and achieve this other object that God actually hasn't promised for us at all. There's a great danger for all of us to start trying to justify ourselves before God, to try and bargain our way through our good efforts to find our security in self. And so like Paul says, a little yeast in the dough can destroy the whole batch. There's a danger that needs to be taken. Paul's confidence in verse 10 is that God isn't absent here. He will eventually call all things to count. And his rivals, who are apparently accusing him of validating their position, in some ways promoting circumcision, is what Paul addresses in verse 11. He says, brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. Paul here seems to acknowledge that perhaps he previously promoted circumcision, but he's addressing the claim that he's still enforcing it now, and he says that's a ludicrous claim. He's like, if I'm still promoting it, why am I being persecuted? Far from advocating circumcision, Paul gets a bit tongue-in-cheek in verse 12. He's saying, if you want to promote the necessity of circumcision, then you might as well just cut off the whole Now, it's not that he's sort of wishing pain on these religious leaders, but I think he's saying that if you actually castrate yourselves, that's actually a better representation of what's going on here. Because in the Old Testament, for a man to be castrated or mutilated disqualified them from the assembly. They were rendered unfit. They were excluded. And so Paul's saying, you guys aren't promoting what is pleasing to God. What you guys are on about is the furthest from that. Because verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Now friends, we stand firm through the Spirit. By faith, we stand firm. It's the core muscles. It's invisible in many ways, but the effects of it are so clear. That the response to God's purpose is to eagerly await the hope of our righteousness. Our righteousness that's secured in Christ. Now we've chatted a little bit about what happens where we might be led astray with this sort of wrong idea of what our hope for. Thinking our hope is for the right spouse, the right job, the right place, rather than our righteousness. Righteousness. 
But what if we veer off the other way? What if rather than the left-hand exit looping around and going right, it actually just keeps going left? Well, I think the other danger that we face here is being enslaved to the world. Letting ourselves, as Paul said in verses 2 and 3, be burdened by the world's expectations. Perhaps it's thoughts about what we should have achieved by this age in our lives. Or the places that we should have visited. The type of relationship we should be in or the finances that we should have obtained. All ways in which we can let ourselves be burdened by the expectations of this world. I think a really obvious example of this is how easy it is to be enslaved to our resume. How does it look? What will people think? What's the narrative I tell? You know, any year where I worked over six months for someone, I'll make it as a full year. I've got to make sure there's no gaps. I need this to be the title for that job because it looks like I've progressed. I need to people to think that I have obtained a certain status, even if my pay packet and the work doesn't do it. I just, it's so easy to become enslaved to a document. Now, I'm just sort of using that as an example. It can be a whole range of things that we enslave ourselves to. Our academic qualifications, our physical appearance, you know, our travel itinerary or log, the place and state of our property. Let's just take a moment. What in your life has more power over you than it really ought to? All of us at various times will have ways of the world that sort of cut in front of us and sitting in the slipstream will feel a little bit more calmer. It'll provide some relief. But the great danger is if we get led off this track, then we have given up the very purpose for which we were freed for. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. And so, like a good parent is always seeking to raise a child who becomes a well-functioning adult, God has freed us so that we would increasingly grow and live in the family way. We will fail living by faith. But there's the means for us to return in repentance and trust again in God's declaration that those who are in Christ are right before him. And so perhaps the image for us as we try and think about how does freedom pair with standing firm is this. The child who moves out of home, who has to live by themselves for the first time, they are free, aren't they? But there are real dangers that they can enslave themselves to laziness, to lack of discipline, to various substances or habits that are addicting. But standing firm in that freedom is them embracing the privilege of this new stage, this new life. You know, getting on the phone to mum or dad and saying, you know, I've got this stain on the carpet, how how do I get it out? That meal you cook, can you send me the recipe? There's a growing and a learning in that freedom. It's not free to just do what you want. And so too those who are in Christ, who have been freed for freedom, 
live this life standing firm through the Spirit by faith. Seeing where we're getting captured by a different vision that we're eagerly awaiting and reminding ourselves of the great hope of us being made right, of us being changed. And the great hope of an eternal home where we'll relate to God in right ways, where we'll know him fully, where his purposes will be fully realised. So friends, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let us encourage one another to stand firm then.